Amen. So we're going to use the word of God today. Um, and is that okay if, if we teach from the word and not from my perspective? Is that all right? Like, you don't want to hear from me. Trust me. Like, you want to hear from the word of God. Okay, here we go. So if you have your Bibles, um, I have mine today because this thing, it just feels different. This thing has oil, and I believe that everything, I can't edit this. You can edit a, a computer program. So here we go. We're going to go from Exodus 33 and 8. In Exodus 33 and 8, we find Moses and the people of God in the desert. They are rounding the 40th year of walking around in the desert place. Everybody know the story of Moses? Who's Moses? Oh, wow. Do we know who Moses is? Oh, you just don't want to respond? Is it too cold outside to respond? So who is Moses? One, two, three. He left the people out of Egypt. Um, he communicates with God. He, he does all of these great things in his life. But most of the time, we read about um, the process of which Moses went from uh, being born to the time that he got in the desert. But what we're going to start today is him, somebody say, in the desert. So verse 33, I'd like for you to read with me. Here it is. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand where? In the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud uh, would come down and hover where? At its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Now, I want to paint a picture in your mind. At this point in time, all of them are wandering around the desert for 40 years. Moses has received the word that he's not going to be able to see the promised land that was promised to him 30 chapters before. Because of the fact that Moses got a little bit desperate and he started to do things in his own power rather than using God's power. So what God does is he says, hey, every single person that's not a young adult, you're all going to die in the desert. But as long as you live, I'm going to provide you food. I'm going to provide you sustenance. Like, I'm not going to kill you, but it's going to be a slow death. Sometimes in your life, one of the ways that you know that you're dying, it's not quick, but it's very slow. It can be very, very agonizing. It's, it's like this slow leak and like this slow bleed. The reason why it's important for us to understand what the cloud is is because Jesus hasn't died yet. Therefore, his full manifestation of his glory cannot be revealed to man. Long story short, what that means is that if God were to have shown his full manifestation in his image, there's a side effect, and it's called death. So what God did is he took his spirit and he put it in a cloud. During the day, it would be a giant, like, 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 like the roof over us, it would be a cloud that would move. And whenever they would see the cloud move, they would what? Move. But in the evening, he would be a pillar of fire, and like, it would light them, give them heat. So what happens is, is that Moses is the only person that God trusts to talk to. Please stay with me. Moses, out of all of these millions of people, God desires, remember, what purpose is all about. The point of purpose is what? To be with God. But because we're unholy, God could talk to the people through Moses. The problem with religion is that some of us still use that critique today. I want to shatter this. God does not have to speak to you through me. He doesn't have to speak through a random person to talk to you. One thing that I know for a fact now is that if God has to talk to somebody else to talk to me, that means that I've failed in listening to him before. So when we say certain things like, God, uh, are you with me? God says yes. Then we'll say, well, I need three signs rather than you. And then I started thinking, why would I need more signs other than, than God talking to me? He's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's got a cloud over us. He's giving us manna. Like, why do I have to go to a prophet a pastor, an evangelist, or wait an entire week to have somebody lay hands on me for me to hear from God. So it's great that you're purposed, but remember how we talked about how your calling changes? Guess where that change comes from? 
It comes from the still, small voice. So yes, we know who we are. Yes, we know where we're going. But what if God wants to change directions? And many of us are walking in a certain direction, and God is actually at another destination because we haven't heard his voice in the change. It's going to get good to you in a second. It might be only good for seven people, but that, that, I'm totally okay with that. Then, when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Can you read it with me? Verse 11. Inside, where? Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses, where? I want you to write that down. If you're a note taker, I want you to underline it if you have a Bible, because that's going to be very important. That's going to be the, the, the subject of our text today. Somebody say face to face. As one speaks to a friend, afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the, young men, uh, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. So when we look at the word of God, and now that we've set like this foundation, how many of you guys enjoyed Pastor Martin last week? Really great. Okay. So now that we understand that we have purpose, which is the reason why we're alive, which is to what? Be with God. We also understand that we have a calling. Each one of our callings is supposed to ultimately get us to God. Your calling is the thing that you are called to. Your calling is what your gifts, your characteristic traits, it's the reason why you are who you are. There's a reason why some people are called to play basketball and some people are called to be secretaries. And if you switch the two, they'll look out of place. The hope of this sermon series is so that you will understand two things. You are powerful without measure, but if you're in the wrong calling, all of your power means nothing. You are the most powerful person on the earth that God has ever created. PJ, how can you say that when there's all these billion people? Because when God says you're the most powerful person six billion times in a row, he's not lying. When he looks at each person in this room and says, you're my favorite, guess what? He's not lying. So if God's not lying, that means that the enemy doesn't have to get you addicted to something or get you in the wrong marriage. All he has to get you to do is to believe that you're not powerful. Somebody scream, I'm powerful. By the end of the day, you're actually going to believe it. I want you to look at two people, and I want you to teach this sermon uh, title to them. Are you ready? Look at them and put your hand on your hip. We're going to teach this thing for real. Look at them and say, the big reveal. The big reveal. reveal. And if you'd like to have a context, um, I'm I'm sorry, a, a subtext, you can write this. The places God speaks. Purpose is amazing. Calling is great. I'm called to this mountain, Pastor Joshua, and this is what I'm supposed to do. But at some time, our God never changes, but sometimes he changes our direction. God is able to be all places at all times. So we have to be somebody, say, open. Open. Let's go back to the word. Let's go back to the word. Uh, Exodus 2, 1 through 4. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was, somebody underlined this, say, a special boy, a special baby, and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus, needs, uh, um, reeds, and uh, waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She, underlined this part, say, put the baby in the basket. And then she laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at the distance watching to see what would happen to him. Now we're jumping backwards. We're taking a blast to the past. In, ver- in chapter 33, we see Moses talking to God face to face. And in Exodus 2, we see Moses clearly being born. What I'd like to share with you today is to answer the question of if God is talking to you. 
being in this position, you would think that a lot of people ask a lot of, they ask a lot of different questions. Like, how do I make more money? How do I become prosperous? How do I lay hands on people and make them sick? But you want to know the number one question that people usually ask me is, how do I know when I've heard from God? How do I know it's his voice? How do I decipher between God's voice, my voice, the enemy, and just a brain fart? Like, how do I, because sometimes, how many of you guys have, like, uh, you have brain farts? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're in the middle of a sentence, and you just be like. And if you're super religious, you'll think, oh, God's trying to talk to me. No, you just forgot because you don't eat enough carrots. You don't have enough vitamin C in your diet. Somebody say, eat carrots. So more important than laying hands on the sick, more important than being prosperous, more important than your calling and your purpose is being able to hear from God. But we belittle it so much and we make it religious that when we see people do certain physical antics, we think God is talking to them. Let me show you something. And we think that that person's heard from the Lord. We think that, which is kind of crazy to people that don't know God. When you speak in tongues, it's actually to make sure that people that do speak in tongues understand what you're saying. So we can literally be in the place of purpose and be looked at as crazy. And to be totally honest, if you didn't know who God was, you would probably think that person's crazy too. So being able to communicate with God is the most important thing when it comes to purpose. Well, Pastor Joshua, aren't you contradicting yourself from the first day? Yes, I am. But I want to make sure that you're staying with me because, yes, you're called to do some things. But what if your calling changes and you miss the voice of God? So this is what I'd like to share with you today is that God, and write this down, God reveals his voice to man through many experiences. God reveals his voice to man through many experiences. Now, there are some people who literally have heard the voice of God since they were little, and it's been perfect. There's been no progression or regression. They've heard the voice of God like they're hearing me over, the, uh, over this microphone. But how many of you in the room can say, Hey, that, that ain't me, Chief. I don't know if I've heard the voice of God. Like, I think it's a hunch, and I'm not sure. Maybe it's just indigestion because, you know, my bowels kind of don't work the way they're supposed to. But, like, I want to know if it's God. Come on. Somebody say, like, I want to know. I want to know when it's God. Here, when we see Moses, he's a baby, right? He's a baby. He doesn't know who God is yet. His mother is trying to make him uh, safe because they're killing all the boys out here. But then when we look at chapter 33, he's able to talk to God face-to-face. Remember when we talked about that? Now, when you look at the word face-to-face, it doesn't actually mean face-to-face. Remember what I talked about before? God's glory is way too strong. Seeing God face-to-face would take you out. So when we look at what's called a Greek concordance, it basically takes the word of God, translates it into another version. When we look at it in the Greek, face-to-face means mouth-to-mouth. Mouth-to-mouth. What that means is that God talked to Moses like I'm talking to you. Now, does anybody remember Ezekiel? Now, Ezekiel, if you read that book, any person that's ever told you to start the book of the Bible in Ezekiel doesn't love you. Because Ezekiel never talked to God face-to-face. Ezekiel, when he wrote the book, he said, like, yeah, I saw a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And then I saw a seven-headed figure with four arms. And I think one was a person with no eyes. And the next one was an ox. And then we're like, thanks, Ezekiel. I think I'll go read Psalms now. Uh, Because God, at this point in time, had to choose who he actually talked to. Some people he talked to in code. I want to share with you today that God does not desire for you to be listened to, uh, God does not desire to talk to you in code. 
He doesn't want you to have to take his word and have to go and think about what he said. He wants, you to t- he wants to talk to you just like I'm talking to you today. So here's my first point. I want you to write this down. God's support for you isn't based on your ability to perform. God is not a respecter of person. God doesn't talk to certain people because they're cooler than you. He doesn't talk to certain people because they're more anointed than you. God has the same want for each and every one of us. That just like how you're hearing me, God wants to hear you, like literally say, Samuel, it's good to see you. Like, yeah, but it, it scares us. So since God knows that many of us are not really meaning it when we say we want to be as close as we want to be to him, he begins to put buffers in between us and him because if you ask people what they really want, they'll say it, but they don't really mean it. We sing songs all the time. God, I just want to be close to you. God, I want you to reveal your face. And if he revealed his actual face, it would be terrifying. But here's the cool thing about Moses. He was never terrified of God. But it was a progressive mode that he figured out who God was. She put the baby in the basket, Exodus 2 and 10. It says, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him what? Moses. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Now, where we go wrong as people is that many different times our wrong decisions create very messy outcomes. Every single person in this room is sitting in the middle of a situation that's messy, and guess whose fault it is? Every one of us in the room. And if you're not, God bless you. You're perfect. You have no meaning on earth anymore. You should go on to be with the Lord. But, like, I don't know about you, but many of the situations that Joshua walks through day by day, it would be so much easier to point the finger at people. But it's funny funny how the hand works. For every finger you point at somebody else, there's three that's pointing back at us. And the more that you point at people, if you use two hands, then there's six reasons why you shouldn't be trusted either. Wrong decisions create wrong relationships. Wrong decisions create wrong conclusions. Our, per, our misperceptions can cause us to believe a lie about a person that's not true. And then 20, 30 years later, once we get over ourselves and our pride, we have a conversation with the person when we actually have the time to hear and listen. And then we have to do this thing called forgiveness. We have to do this thing where we say, I'm sorry. And that hurts because now you got to look past over the past 15, 20 years of like, if we would have just had the conversation, we could have been all right. Somebody said we could have been all right. <laughs> Wrong decisions also created, create un, uh, uneducated guesses. Write this point down. And being unfamiliar with God creates wrong decisions. Exodus 2 and 11, it says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, say so he grew up, he went out to visit his own people the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses did what? He killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. I want you to write this one down too. There are some things running away from won't fix. There are some situations in your life Running away from it only allows it to grow in your absence. I'm sorry. Running away from stuff that you're supposed to, like, take out in your life allows it to fester. 
It allows it to learn as you are learning. So this is the reason why, if you're a parent, whenever you see something in your child, you correct it immediately. Why? Because what's cute at two will get them arrested at 13, will put them, at, will put them in jail for life at 23, and get them executed at 33. So this is the reason why, as parents, what do you do? The minute that you see it, everybody's like, oh, he's going to be a heartbreaker. No, you will not be. I won't have a whole bunch of grandkids out of wedlock. I'm not going to be 45 and not know who I am because I'm raising your children. So what happens is, is that as a parent, you act as the governor of how you want this person to develop. God does the same thing. Matter of fact, God did it first. Moses kills a man because he's doing the right thing. Now, this is the, I, I know it can be frustrating. Sometimes you can be doing the right thing at the wrong time. Moses sees somebody being beaten to death. So what does he do? He defends the person. He advocates for the person. And he kills the man that's killing his brother. But the problem is, is that Moses is a prince. And princes don't act that way. So even though he's doing the right thing, he's doing it at the wrong time. The kingdom has systems. There's a reason why sometimes God doesn't just act immediately in your life. Because in order to act immediately in my life, it's going to change a lot of other people's that I'm connected to. But we never think about blessings that way. We ask God to fix the situation in our life right now, but then we don't think about how it's going to affect our sister. Or the person down the street. Or our barber. And we can become selfish asking God to bless us, and it's jacking up other people's lives. Think about it. Some people get married and they're happily married, but they can't go to Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm in your mail this morning. Some of us get the degree, then we can't find a job. And it's not because nobody's hiring. You just made the wrong decision at the right time. So Moses is doing the right thing, but he's doing it in the wrong place. And because he realizes what he's doing wrong, he runs away. The word of God says, that he runs literally all the way out into the desert. Verse 2, uh, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. The next day when Moses went out to visit his people, again he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. Moses kind of got, you know, a little bit of weight on him. He just killed a man the day before. He's feeling really hard. He's like, I'm going back out there. I'm going to stop something else. He finds two men fighting. He walks up to them and he says, hey, why are y'all fighting? And look what they do. They say, uh, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? They're looking at Moses like, hey, don't forget, we got the same blood. You're not Egyptian. Like, yeah, you might have on all the bling bling and yeah, you might be in the palace, but don't forget, you serve our God, not theirs. I don't know what it is about man, but every single one of us has this little person on the inside of us that only wants to be ruled by somebody greater. It's the reason why it's so hard for us to listen to other people, because we can look at their life and see all the flaws in it. And then we'll start saying, well, who are you to tell me what to do? Oh, I'm in your mail. I'm at your address. Matter of fact, I'm sitting on your lap. Don't move me. It's all right. You'll be okay. And we can begin to disqualify the voice of God coming through people because we think that they're too flawed. Who are you to talk to me about my children? You don't even have any. And it's like, yes, I don't, but the Lord has shared with me a tidbit to help you. Let me, let me help you with, with your teenage daughter. Well, your daughter's strung out on crack. She is. That's why I know what I'm talking about. Well, your marriage ended in divorce. Exactly. Why wouldn't you listen to what I have to say? And matter of fact, we're actually reconciling. We're actually getting married. I'm going to send you an envelope. An envelope. You know, like, so what we have to see here 
is that Moses is now going to learn a lesson that sometimes the voice of God comes through somebody that you think you're over. They look at Moses and they say, oh, I'm sorry, then Moses was, uh, I'm sorry, they look at Moses and they say, aren't you the guy that killed the Egyptian yesterday? Like, bro, you didn't even change your clothes. <laughs> you, you, you killed, buddy. We were there. Like, you dapped us up. You went home. Didn't even shout. Like, you came back. Like, you didn't think we were going to realize who you were? Then Moses was afraid, thinking what? Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard that had happened. And he tried to do what? Kill Moses. But Moses did what? He fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Today, I'd like to talk to a couple of people that are still running. And we've talked about rest. We've talked about, um, we've talked about how to f- listen to the voice of God and how to find peace. But I- I'd like to, to share with you that um, there's absolutely no peace and rest running from the voice of God. It, it doesn't exist. Like once God has called you, he doesn't renege on, his, on what he thinks. That, that, like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't like look at you and say, oh, she doesn't want it right now in this season. I, I'll leave her alone. Like, well, maybe that's you. But for some of us in the room that have tried to run from calling, I just need to talk to two of you. Like you, you do everything you can not to talk to people. You go to the gym, sit in the sauna, and a man would just, a towel on, start telling you his whole life. It's like, bro, can you at least put some shorts on? Like, why are we... You go to the grocery store at the checkout. The person that you're trying to pay to get your groceries just starts crying. My husband is like, why? And I think what the Lord really wants for each person to know is that as much as you run away from me, I can put what I want you to learn at the end of your running. (laughs) If you run to the east, I'm going to pick up the situation I wanted you to learn over here. I'm going to put it right in front of you. You run to the north, I'm going to take that same situation. Or you want to sit there in your own, you want to take a nap, I'm going to put that person in your dreams. Because I think that God wants each and every one of us to realize that it doesn't matter how much you want to run away from what I've called you to do. I've called you. Somebody say, I've been called. I've been called. But Moses, instead of taking care of this situation in verse 3, it takes him all the way to verse um, chapter 33 to realize that he could have fixed his life had he stayed and fought where he was. The man replied, who appointed you as judge? Then you killed that man yesterday. Moses ends up running. Exodus 2, 23. It's about to get good. Somebody say, yes. yes. Now we find Moses in this place called Midian. Uh, and he's ran away. He finds this man. I'm sorry. He, he finds these women uh, that are uh, watering their camels. Now, remember, he's on his way to run. And he helps water their camels. And that's kind of like a lot of us in our lives. We have a really big mistake over here that we don't want to fix. So we try to do little small deeds to take care of the big one that we messed up. <laughs> I'm, I'm just talking about myself. Like, you know, I need to actually ask for forgiveness from my mom. So what I do is I get Vanessa a glass of water every day without her asking. And I think like, there you go, God. That took care of the big one. And then at the end of the week, God's like, no, you still need to apologize, bro. So Moses takes care of these ladies. He waters their, this is good. This is good to me. He waters their camels. He runs off these bad guys that are trying to sell them into slavery. The oldest looks at Moses and says, hey, you need to meet my dad. Here's a tip. For any men in the room that are desiring to be married, be her friend before you're her lover. 
because it gains the trust of the people that have to give her away to you. Like you want the father or the men in her life to love you more than you love what's there. You know what I'm saying? I had to learn that the hard way. But once, and my father-in-law is in the room this morning, and a lot of our conversations, I realized that taking care of Vanessa wasn't what he was really looking for. He was looking for me to come to him directly. Maybe you'll get that on the way home. Moses takes care of these ladies. He waters them, and now he's become accustomed. He's a part of this, uh, of this, of this, of this tribe in Midian. It says, years passed, and the king of Egypt had died. So the man that was looking for Moses is now gone and no longer looking for him. Not many of us have that luxury. Many of us would hope that people in our family would die. Like, if they die, I ain't got to deal with it. If my boss dies tomorrow, I ain't got to go into work. But for many of us, I don't know about you, but God has never killed my enemies so, and, and, so I don't learn the lesson. God's like, you're going to learn the lesson. <laughs> you're going to figure this out. I'm not going to kill Goliath for you, Joshua. You got to muster up the courage to kill this thing. Because in killing Goliath, it's not about freeing the people. It's about you learning something. Many of the situations that we run away from are not just for your freedom, but God is trying to get you a characteristic trait that you couldn't get unless you actually went through with it. And this is the part about the Bible that I love. We read the Bible and we think that Moses had courage. No, he didn't. Moses gained courage through what we're reading. David wasn't an amazing worshiper when you read it. He learned how to worship God as you read the story. Every time that you see Noah and he followed, he had to be obedient for 120 years. He wasn't obedient in year one. So what that means is that the Bible begins to create a standard that is almost over your head. And we start to say things, I want to be like Moses. I want to be like David. No, you are right now. This is the reason why storytelling in families is so important, because what you begin to tell your children is not just to have faith, but let me tell you about a time when mommy didn't have any. This is why all the older people in our church, you need to start telling the truth and not your edited testimony. We're a multi-generational church on purpose, but your 80-year-old grandma didn't love the Lord her whole life. She was doing something a long time ago that she don't want to tell you about. If you tell me the story, Granny, maybe my faith will be, how did I bash it? My, 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 my faith will be just as strong as yours. Yes. Moses didn't have courage. He grew in courage. He grew in courage. So what does that mean for all of you? Anytime that you see in the Bible that somebody was spoken to by the Lord, you just saw the instance, but there was a period of time where they were trying to figure it out. Hey, Joshua, hey, who was that? Hey, Joshua, who is that? Hey, Joshua, hey, Dad, uh, you keep calling me. This is another story in the Bible. Joshua, when you lay down, say, Lord, here I am. God has been talking to you the whole time. He's always been talking to you. But the question is this. Are we in tune with the frequency that he's talking at to even hear his voice? There was nothing different than any person in this word than you. Look at your neighbor say, I'm growing. David didn't have courage. He grew in courage. These Bible stories are not set up to make you think that these are the heroes. You're the only hero in your story. Years passed, the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to who? To God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people that came before Moses. He looked down on the people of Israel and did what? Knew it was time to act. God answered to earth. God's answer to earth won't come from heaven. 
<laughs> For all of you that are online, the answer to your marriage is not coming from heaven. The, the answer to that work office issue, the interpersonal issues, the person that you can't, can't stand, raise your hand if you've got a coworker that you hate, don't do it. Ooh, I saw you. She was like, <laughs> that answer is not going to come from heaven. It's going to come from heaven, but it's going to work in the earth through you. Can I show you the revelation that I got while reading this thing? And it might be only for six people, but me and those six, we going to lunch today, maybe. Like, we got to figure this thing out. God says, it's time for me to act, but he sends Moses. <laughs> God says, I got to do something about this. Moses, go handle it. It's like you parents. Joshua, come to the kitchen or come to the living room. Pass me the remote. You got the remote, but you used me to do it. And that's how God sees the world. When God calls your name, he's not moving. He's looking for you to hear his voice and come to him. Then once you come to him, he gives you what you need next. This is another, this is another uh, principle of the kingdom. Write this down. When God shares something with you, you should do the last thing that you heard. If you haven't heard anything new, continue doing the thing that has been said. Moses kills the man. God sends him to the desert. Once he gets to the desert, God sends him back to where he's going. And many of us are forfeiting Holy Spirit, help me, Jesus. Many of us, even myself included, have forfeited being able to progress in my life because I was uncomfortable being sent back to the situation I was running from. The reason why you have any purpose on earth is to be in the middle of bad situations. Without bad situations, you're useless. Without problems, you're useless. Without something to figure out, you're useless. So if you spend your entire life running away from problems, what we're telling God is not just don't use me, but I'm useless to you anyway. Why would you use me? God says, I'm going to do something in the earth. And the way in which I'm going to do this is by sending you. And for the next 20 verses, Moses gives God excuses of why he can't use him. Now, I want you to look at this logically. The God that created Moses, the God that created the problem in Egypt, the God that created all the people that he's supposed to free, Moses fixes his mouth to tell that guy, you can't use me. The person that created him, the person that has his breath in his lung and his thumbprint on his forehead, you mean to tell me out of everything that I've made in you, you can tell me what I can and can't do with my body? Paul ends up writing later on in Corinthians that we are not just one with God, but we are God. Stay with me. Meaning that when God wants to do something, when he sends you, he sends himself. Ah. Meaning that when God wants God in a situation, he doesn't show up. He sends you. So that's the reason why your family being jacked up shouldn't be as scary as you think it is. Because as soon as you walk in the room, God's walked into the room. I need 10 people in the room to stand up on their feet and say, when God walks in the room, I walk in the room. You're going to walk into your job different. You're going to walk into these situations different. So rather than thinking that God is about to send you into something that's impossible, you got you to start thinking, wait a minute. Greater is he. 
than he that's in the world. So if he's in me, that means that we're the same person. I mean, I got a small G, but I'm still like God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need a capital G on top of who I am to make me feel strong. Moses begins to yell at God. God, I'm slow of tongue. God, I'm slow. God, they ain't going to listen to me. God, 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 God. And every time that Moses has something to say to God, the only response that God has to him is what? But I'm going to be with you. Okay, all right. You don't want to hear my perspective? We'll read it. We'll read it. We'll read it. We'll read it. Exodus 3, 4 through 8. Somebody scream hallelujah. Hallelujah. You walking into your job different. You walking into your marriage different. You walking into the doctor's office different. I know what you said on Thursday, doc, but I got a word from the Lord, and greater is he that is in me (laughs) than he that is in the world. It's bigger than cancer. It's bigger than frustration. It's bigger than this relationship that I'm in. October is literally uh, Domestic ab- ab- Abuse Awareness Month. It's also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And yes, we, we, we're aware that people are in really terrible relationships where domestic abuse is happening. It's not just physical. It's spiritual. It's, it's mental. It's social. It's economical. I have more money than you. Nobody's going to love you. But we also know that people have, some women in the room have this thing that's called cancer. It's literally from the pits of hell. Like, yeah, that's great. We're we're aware of sickness. We're aware of domestic violence. But I want to make sure that domestic violence and breast cancer is aware of the God that I serve. I'm aware of what the, because all... All the doctors report is just, it's just ones and zeros. It's information. It's information. It's information. You give me information to go and tell my God how to fix this situation. I know I'm only talking to two or three people, but if you got sickness in your body this morning, you should scream at it and say, greater is he. Greater is he that's on the inside of me. Well, your marriage looks jacked up right now, but as long as God is in this thing, We might be sleeping in separate rooms on the opposite side of this house. But greater is he that is in this house. Somebody say, greater is he. God has to remind Moses of who he is. I made you. You don't think that the stutter that you have, I gave it to you, wasn't an accident. Every child that's at AWC Kids right now that has a speech impediment, it's not because they have a delay. God's going to use it in some type of way. I know that there are people in here that you're on WIC, you're on EBT. We get emails from you. There's many of you that are paycheck to paycheck. There are many of you that are upside down on your loans. And I know that we stand here to help you. We stand here. If you give here, we're going to try to do our best to help you out. But sometimes in situations, I got tired of emailing, calling other people to step into the situations that I was in. And I began to talk to the God that's over my life. God, you said in your word. I would never have to struggle in my life. How can I prove to people that don't know you that you're great when I'm struggling? Greater is he that is on the inside of me. So what does that mean? I need some more revenue streams, Jesus. I'm going to work once you give them to me, but I need some more. Somebody scream, greater is he. Greater is he. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. We're six months into this thing called the school year. Somebody told your baby that they got a learning disability. Let me tell you, you're standing looking at a person that should have been on Ritalin to this day. But my parents stood in the gap and realized that greater is he on the inside of my child. And the same thing that they tried to give me an IEP for back in 1996 is the reason why I'm able to stand here and speak to you and come up with things in my brain. 
One thing that we're going to stop doing in this generation is drugging our children in a way that destroys the God on the inside of them. Baby, you just think different. You just see things differently. The reason why you can't sit still is because God's on the inside of you trying to move. Well, he has ADHD. Well, maybe that actually means act and do all God things quickly. Maybe that's what it means. Your children are not slow. Your marriage is not broken. Your life is not broken. As long as you got air in your body, as long as you're able to wake up and see the sun every single day, I'm going to look in the mirror and say, there's a greater person on the inside of you, Joshua. You might not be able to see him right now, but greater is he. <laughs> Moses begins arguing with God. And we think that the only time when God is talking to us is when he's revealing something to us. But do you know that every time that you deny what's actually on the inside of you, you're talking to God. Every time you look at somebody on the side of the road and you got $2 in your pocket and your heart says give it and you don't, you're talking to God and telling him no. Ah, every single time that you see a child on the street in your neighborhood and something tells you just to stay out on the porch just two seconds longer. Like, anybody ever been there before? In our neighborhood, we got the gang of kids. And as I told you in multiple sermons before, they come to my house. I'm looking at you, Chad. Looking at you. I know your house number. He always comes over looking for hot chips and a banana. It's a Mexican family, so he puts chamoy on the, anybody know what chamoy is? Lime and chamoy. Where are my Hispanic and Latino people at? You know what I'm talking about? There, no, I want to hear you. Come on. Okay, they know what I'm talking about. Okay, my wife puts chamoy on everything. One day my wife was outside. She was eating. Little boy came up out of nowhere. And this is how children ask her stuff. I like hot chips. <laughs> they don't, all right, hey, how many of you got a little cousin, little nephew? They don't say, wow, chips, may I have some? What do they say? Those aren't hot to me. My mom lets me eat those. <laughs> and then when you start to break it down, maybe that's why God wants us to come to situations like children. Because children don't fear anything until you teach them to. Ah! Children aren't afraid of anything until you tell them, hey, baby, that stove is hot. Hey, you need to watch out for that dog. It'll bite you. So now what I think what God wants each and every one of us to grasp is to walk into every single situation like a child. Oh, this? Do you know how big my daddy is at the crib? I ain't scared of you. I'm going to go get my big brother to take care of this. His name is Jesus. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. Cancer? Meet my dad. Abuse? Meet my dad. And now what you begin to do as a child is that you have confidence in what's at the house. As you're playing basketball with other kids and they're beating you up, the kid you don't want to fight is the one that says, I'm going home. Oh, no, no, no. Stay here. I don't know. I don't know what you got at the crib. I don't know who you got at the crib. But I know I can lose a fight to you, but I don't know what you got at home. And that's how the enemy should look at your life. The minute that he thinks that you're taking blows to the face, you're taking blows to the stomach, you should remind what's beating you up or what's about to kill you. Like, don't you know that the God that I served already crushed the head of the snake? So you can get your licks in while you want, but Jesus is on the way. <laughs> Somebody say, Jesus is on the way. So you can whoop my behind right now. Like, I'll be black and blue. Go ahead. Get your licks in. But the word of God, as my pastor talked about last week, he said, vengeance is the Lord. So go ahead and get your rounds in. But that ninth round, when that bell knocks, you better hope that I'm on the ground. Because if I'm not, 
There's a man that's never lost a battle that's coming to avenge me. There's a man that died and had holes in his hands, holes in his feet, and a hole in his side that's coming to knock you out. Somebody say, greater is he. PJ, you teaching. Greater is he. When the Lord saw Moses come and take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. After Moses argues with the Lord, I'm sorry, before he argues with the Lord, Moses is up on this mountain. He sees a bush, and the bush is, okay, y'all know the story, so y'all were just playing with me earlier. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was about, wow, we're going to have to do Bible one-on-one. This is Jonah. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. <laughs> He sees this um, bush, it's on fire, and he walks up to the bush, and he, firstly, I think he was confused, because up until this point, every time that the Hebrews and the Israelites and the Jewish folk at this time used fire, only for two reasons. Number one was to provide light. The second was to consume sacrifice. Everything that you see in the Old Testament is prescribed. But in the New Testament, it's described. Does that make sense? So everything that you see in the Old Testament, the person that's in the Bible doesn't have knowledge of what's happening until they get revelation. But when you see it in the Old Testament, they have revelation now because the Holy Spirit is able to be with them. Does that make sense? Everything in the Old Testament, some might say, is described. But everything in the New Testament, some might say, is is, I'm, I'm sorry, is, is, is described in, in, the, in, the old, in the Old Testament, but it's actually prescribed in, in, in the New Testament. Like, let me explain to you why this is. This is, what, this is how God works. So when we see the fire consuming the bush, another revelation, it's actually describing what's going to happen once Jesus dies on the cross. Moses has no idea, but what he's looking at is what God wants to do in his people. I want to be the fire on the inside of you that lights the darkness but doesn't consume you. But he doesn't know what's going on. It says, Moses. Somebody say, Moses. Moses. Say, Moses. Moses. Moses replies. He says, here I am. The bush says, do not come any closer, the Lord, uh, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on what? Somebody say, holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. The reason why Abraham has to take his shoes off isn't because his, like, it's, it's, it's uh, um, uh, like, like they're dirty. They are dirty, but remember, it's prescribed. Because in the New Testament, when we start learning about worship, you cannot step into the presence of God with dirty feet. Not because your feet are dirty, but because it's a symbolism of having dirty souls. In order for you to worship God in spirit and in truth, your soul has to be clean. Therefore, if you're walking around in sandals all day throughout the desert, guess what's dirty? Your feet. And what's at the bottom of your feet? Your soul. So now what God has told Abraham, I'm sorry, what God has told Moses is this. First of all, I want to fill you. I want to fill you with a fire that will not consume you. But first, you have to be holy. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. If you're in my presence, you've you got to be as close to holiness as possible. Is this making sense? So do not come any closer. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face. Why? Because he was afraid to look at God. When we break down this word afraid, 
In the Old Testament, it means fear, as in like terrified. But that's because whoever wrote the Old Testament did not have the context to understand what type of fear Moses was feeling. When we look in the New Testament, that fear that Moses was feeling was actually reverence. Ah! It's the first time that God has revealed himself in front of man. And the first person that God reveals himself in front of isn't afraid of him. You want to know how you got the right friend group? When you show that weird, quirky side that nobody should be friends with and they don't run away. I'm done with this side. When you show them that like you sniff your hands or like you hold your breath from room to room or like you like have this this favorite block of cheese that you have in a cupboard that smells different, but it's your best friend. Like when you show them that side of you, that should terrify people and they still have reverence for you. I think that God is looking for a people who he can reveal his entire self to. The parts that terrify other people. But when he shows it to you, you reverence it. This is the reason why you got to love God. Because if he reveals to you your true calling 100%, it will terrify you. If he actually showed you from beginning to end all the great things that he wants to do with you, it's the same thing as showing you a burning bush. And this is why I, I'm concerned with the people of God. Because many, if God showed up in the way that he did in the Bible today, we would throw him away. If he spit in the dirt and made it into mud and put it on people's faces, we would say, that's disgusting. Like we, if, if, he, if he actually uh, uh, took pigs and threw them off the side of a, uh, of a cliff because they had demons in them, we think that he's crazy. And I think that many of the times that God has been trying to reveal himself to man, we've been afraid of him, but not in fear of him. So my prayer life is beginning to change, Ms. Creighton. My prayer life is beginning to say, God, take the fear out of me when I see you. When you begin to reveal to me the big plan that you have for my life, it might be terrifying, but I don't want to feel the terror. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to do what? Rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. But I'm not leaving this bush. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> Sorry, God. I mean, I know I can't unveil my face because you'll kill me, but can you run that by me again? You said, okay, you heard the cry, cool. You also said that you're going to do something about it, bet. Then you said that you're going to deliver them. You, you, I'm sorry, you, 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 you're going to deliver them. You, okay, but you're not leaving the bush? So how? I wish, I, I wish you could hear me swallow. Everybody swallow on the count of three. One, two, three. Yeah, like, 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 so, one more, sorry, God, and this is what we do. This is what we do. We're talking to God. Let me run this back again, God, as if God forgot or he stuttered or that what he told you wasn't the truth. So hold on one more time, God. Okay, heard the cry, came to earth. You are going to be in the bush. You ain't going to leave the bush, but you're going to live the people. How are you going to do it? He says, I'm going to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. That's awesome, God. But how are you going to lead people from a bush? How are you going to do this? God, you can't heal my marriage from a bush. God, you can't, you can't fix my crazy coworkers from a bush. God, you can't heal this cancer from a bush. And now our prayers become trying to tell God how he's going to do the work in our lives. But here's the cool thing about the story. You don't want God to leave the bush. 
You need God to stay being God. You need God to stay being God. God, I only need you to provide for me. Because this Bible would be very boring. It would be a great book, but it would be boring if God took care of all the issues in here. Isn't it interesting that the only issue that God took care of and got his hands dirty was creating Jesus? Every other, this is a revelation from heaven. Every other issue that you read in between these two leather pieces was dealt with with dirty people, frustrated people, people that were struggling with their sexual orientation, people that didn't trust God. God even used a a prostitute. He used a whoremonger. He used a person that was a murderer. He used a person that was a dictator. All to prove to you in 2022 that I can use you. You're not that dirty. Go read about David. You're not that frustrating. Go read about Abraham. You don't have that many issues. Go read about Moses. And like all of these stories are just to prove that God is just going to say, I'm going to be with you, so what more do you need? Look at your neighbor and say, how many more words do you need from God before you move? How many more times does God have to say, I'm with you before you believe it? I'm with you in the car, Joshua. Well, can you like hug me in the car? Like, oh my God. Then he hugs you in the car. Well, can you kiss me on the cheek in the car? And then at some point in time, we say that God can't feel emotions, but I think that sometimes God gets frustrated with people. I think sometimes God gets so tired of working with people that are stubborn that he gives the song that was supposed to get you a Grammy to somebody else. And now you hear your song online running in a loop as a torment to you. Remember that policy that you didn't want to give to your supervisor? And now the whole company runs on this policy that God gave you first? Maybe what you should have done is stepped through your fear and said, greater is he. This is good. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember, it's prescribed. It's prescribed, Old Testament. Described, New Testament. Milk and honey is is prosperity and sustaining. Milk, for a cow, it's prosperous. Because if a cow can generate milk... It's able to grow, not just the animals around them, but it's another drinking source. It's the reason why you don't always kill a cow. If it's able to produce milk, it's able to be there. But honey, I don't know if you know this, but honey will never mold. Like, it'll crystallize and become rock hard, but you can still eat it. So what God is telling Moses is he doesn't understand it. We read it like Moses knew about the milk. and He had no idea. Milk and honey, like what? Like, you mean I'm going to walk over there, it's going to be honey? Honey doesn't flow, God. Like, it doesn't do that. It's sticky. What God is trying to prescribe to him is that I know that what you're about to walk into back in Egypt is scary, but if you get through that, I got prosperity for you on the other side. I want to encourage somebody today. Your purpose might be scary. Your calling might be terrifying. He might have given you a word that's terrifying. He might have given you a monetary number that's terrifying. But I promise you, if you can use your faith and use your fear to fuel you through the scary part, once you get through it, the promised land's always there. And we have so many people in the church that have died in Egypt and never tasted the honey. You can be in Egypt for so long that you forget that honey even exists. Look at your neighbor and say, honey exists. The coolest thing about God, though, is that he has this internal mechanism where he knows it's going to take time for you, firstly, to believe him, and secondly, to trust yourself. God, God knows. He, he knows that when he shares with you the giant idea of what he, what, what, what he wants you to do, 
He knows that when he shows it to you, Josh, that you're going to have two different dilemmas. First of all, you're going to have to have the faith to believe that God is able to do what he said he was going to do. But then secondly, the second dilemma is that you're going to have to trust that the way in which God wants to do it is through you. And many of us, we're, we're stuck in this place where we trust, where, where, where we believe God and don't trust ourselves, Or we trust ourselves and we don't believe God. And we have to live in this place. I've, I've talked about it a couple times. And I might have to do a whole sermon series on it. But being both and. God doesn't just want you to believe in him. God desires that you trust yourself. Do you know that many of the issues that you walk through in life that you're asking God to speak on, he's not going to tell you anything because he's waiting for you to tell him what you want? God, what, you, what do you want for my marriage? And God's like, I don't know. I didn't marry them. What do you want? And because we're looking for God to change all of our situations, we haven't taken the time to actually look at our situation and actually be able to answer the question. God, this is what I want. I was talking with a friend of mine over this weekend who has a business and uh, got a call from a really big producer to produce some of their music. Um, this person that FaceTimed him, um, his name is Kirk Franklin. Don't know if you know him. Pretty, I mean, he's kind of a nobody. No big deal, you know. He didn't, like, write Stomp or, like, the music of an entire generation. <laughs> and Kirk Franklin's talking to him, and I wasn't there. He's, he's communicating to me. And he asked him, hey, what's your number for production? And he wasn't able to answer the question. And Uncle Kirk hung up on him. So then he meets me two weeks later where I met him this week. And he starts telling me the story, and I punched him dead in his chest. I mean, I punched him with all the might of Zeus. I mean, it came from my toes. I mean, I punched him, right? And he's like, bro, what was that for? I said, you've been looking for that call your entire life. And when the man of God was on the other end of the phone and asked you what you wanted, you looked for God when you should have trusted yourself. You don't even know your skills enough to charge the right price. If the call came this week, are you in sync with God enough to have a number? I got mine. Oh, oh you best believe your boy's got his. And it's not going to be cheap because I've been working on this craft for a long, piece of, like, a long period of time. If somebody asks me right now to come and speak to thousands of people, I have my number. I have the paperwork. I have the process. I have the, you send this to this person, this person, this person. This is my itinerary. I'm going to be there. And for many of us, we would think that that's selfishness in people. But that's actually when a person knows who they are and they know their worth. My question is, do you know yours? Because at some point in time of you doing your calling, you're going to become stronger and wiser, and you're going to get the same call in your sphere. The question is, is that when they call you, will you be able to answer confidently, or will you have to go back to your prayer closet to ask God? Because I promise you this, if you go back to your prayer closet and ask God, he's going to look at you stupid and be like, dummy, why didn't you take the call? Well, God, I just wanted to pray if it was your will. If it's my will... Oh, I'm sorry. That's how God talks to me. I'm sorry. I know that God is, you know, from the Midwest for you, but my God is from, he's, he's different. You big dummy. Fred Sanford, for many of you that don't know. This is why you have to stay in your prayer closet so that when you're caught outside of your prayer closet, you're able to make decisions because you've been in your prayer closet. The last time to pray is when it's the last minute. Okay, y'all bored. Let me move on. God knows it will take time for you to believe him and trust yourself. Exodus 3 and 9, he says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. This is God talking to Moses. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now do what? 
Go. Come on, somebody say, go. Go. For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this is another revelation. God tells Moses that he's supposed to free the people, but he sent the first stop that Moses has to make is encountering the thing he ran away from. Moses thinks that he's just supposed to deliver the people. But the first time that God tells Moses to go, he says, hey, remember that person you're running away from? You ain't going to lead nothing until you deal with your jacked up heart. You want to know why you're not getting calling? Because you have unforgiveness. Oh, no, it's this side. Okay, I'll come over here. God's not going to reveal you to save people if your heart is crusty. God's not going to reveal you to a problem if you still got them. God can't deliver you to take care of people that are addicted if you're still addicted. So what he tells Moses is like, hey, you're still going to see the land of milk and honey. You're still going to deliver the people. But before you touch these people, I got to touch your heart. And the only way I know how to touch your heart, and I'm God, because he never changes. He's never changed. He always sends you back to the first thing that you ran away from. I want you to write this down. We're going to talk about this tonight. What was the first thing in your life that you ran away from? The first thing, you saw it, it scared you, it terrified you, you ran away. For black people, many of us, it's water. Because we came over in slave ships and we jumped in the water, we thought it was better to die than to be a slave. So for many of us right now in 2023, you can't swim because you believe you can't. And little black boys, little black girls during the summer drown because nobody taught them how to swim because our culture can be afraid of water. But it's a lie. If you learn how to swim in water, there's some beautiful places with some water you've never seen before. We've swam in areas where you can literally drink the water as you're swimming because it has parasites in it that no matter what you do in the water, and y'all are disgusting, I know you do it in pools, but if you do it in spring water, it literally becomes like you can drink the water. And now we have generations of people that are terrified of things that were misrepresented to them. Who told you that you couldn't be an astronaut? Who told you you couldn't be a doctor? Who told you that you couldn't have a healthy marriage? Who told you that you couldn't have a healthy mental state? Well, a lot of the things that you ran away from the first time, if you want to get through to what God has called you, the milk and honey of your life, somebody say, you got to go back to Pharaoh. You got to go back. And many of us are frustrated that God's not allowing us to lead people and Pharaoh still hasn't been talked to. Mm. But Moses protested to God. Read it with me, because there's a lot of us. What does he say? He says, who am I to what? Appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Here's the big reveal. Here's the big reveal. Here, here it is. Remember how I talked about it before? Here it is. I'm about to reveal the secret to learning if God is talking to you. Are you ready? Here's the big reveal. Everybody say, here's the big reveal. God answered, I will be with you. And I know. You're like, oh, I thought you were going like, to give me $100 or... You were going to, like, have a one-on-one -on -one session with me over coffee? No, no, no. The key to talking to God is being with him. Well, Pastor Joshua, how do I be with him? Well, you can't take this room with you home. It's done in worship. It's done in prayer. It's done in really, it's so funny seeing people's faces, Pastor Martin. People, <laughs> people's shoulders are like, oh, like, like you were looking for like, you were looking for like something grandiose. <laughs> but you want to know every problem that I've ever fought in my life came from this book. And I don't know why we still have to beg people to open their Bible. I, like, I don't know like what it is about like the Christian that you think 
that you can eat once in a week and you'll like be healthy. Like you don't just eat once a day. I'm sorry, you don't just eat once a week. You eat two, three, four, five times a day. So the only other way that you can actually sustain your life, you don't want to eat every meal that you eat. You don't have to go pay for it. You'll be broke. You got to learn how to cook at home. Ah, y'all missed it. You got to learn how to cook at home. The way in which you speak to God in 2023, this generation is in this book. He's still speaking. And after today, I want to destroy your thought process of thinking that this book is old. Yes, it's old, but every answer that you need is in here. You want to know how I know? There are 150 different translations. So if you say, I can't do all the dusts and the vows, new living. Well, I can't do all of the words, message. Well, I need more words. I can't understand it. I need it to be amplified. Well, I'm old, Pastor Josh. I don't like the New Living Translation. I'm New King James. Tired of the excuses of having an elementary church that does not read their Bible. And as long as I am your pastor, I'm going to push you to read the word for yourself before you hear me say anything. Because God can speak clearer to you through the black and white text of this book than any coffee that we could ever share. I am not more anointed than this book. I am not more wise than this book. I am not better than this book. Look at your neighbor and say, it's in the book. Read it. We try to give you the Bible. I'm so sorry. We try to give you the Bible in so many different watered-down forms. We have it on the app. People download the app. Don't look at it. We have it in small groups. People sign up for small groups. Don't show up. Then you show up on Sunday and want me to do all the work that you should be doing. Name me one chef that cooks food for people and doesn't get paid for it. No. Because the food that God is preparing for me, guess what? It's for me. I don't eat pork. So if you ever make something with pork, I'm not going to eat it. I don't care how good it is. Well, my pork don't taste like pork. It's still pork. The diet that God has me on is not for you. Hold on. The diet that God has for me is not for you. So you cannot expect to be you eating what I eat. Okay, I'm going to stay right here. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I want to destroy this thought process. This book has every answer to your marriage. Because every time that Joshua wants to point the finger at Vanessa, the Bible says to die to yourself. Like God changed Vanessa and God says, oh, no, I'm changing you. Oh, you thought that marriage was all about pointing the finger at this person? No, 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 no. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians? The reason why you get married, Joshua, is to learn the areas of you that don't work. Because you thought that your wife, sometimes we could think is a punching bag, but she's actually a mirror. She's a mirror that shows Joshua all the stinky parts. Okay, I need some men in the room that understand you love your wife, you listen to her. I, that's the only man I want to talk to. I don't want to talk to none of you. It's okay if you're not standing up. Your wife is a mirror. She tells Joshua when his breath smells. Every time I look at Vanessa and try to correct her, God destroys me. So what does that mean? That sometimes the best thing I can do is not sleep with my wife. I need to sleep with this book. God, what do you want to say to me today? Before we go to counseling, because your pastor goes to counseling. Your pastor has a therapist. But before I walk in here and let this older white man with no hair on his head. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. What does your word say? This is crazy. I just opened this Bible. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. It's like, like, like. I'm not, I'm, I'm really not, I'm really not playing, I'm not playing with you. Like, you see the tab. He leads me. 
I, sw I swear to you, if you could, and if you don't speak English, it's in Spanish. Well, I speak Mexican Spanish. That's okay. There's a Mexican Spanish version. Well, I speak the right Spanish. People say in Spain it's the right Spanish. It's all the same. You just sound a little bit different. It's like a person up north and a person down south. It's still English. Somebody say read the book. Here's a reveal in my clothes. Is this good this morning? Now, here's the question. As you're reading the Bible, you can start asking yourself, okay, so, Josh, you mentioned that you were going to share with us where God speaks. Remember, that's the subtext for our sermon. But God was with Moses his entire life. He was with him in the basket. He was with him when he was at the feet of Pharaoh. He was with him when he killed the man. He was with the man. He was with, uh, with him with the blood on his hands. He was with him when he went to Midian. He was with him when he denied him. He was with Moses when he didn't even want to be with him. So let me share with you today where God speaks in your life. You ready? Somebody say, God is with me. God is with you when you're wrong. He killed the man and he was wrong. But guess what? God didn't leave him because he was wrong. And I'm sorry for any and every person that lied to you that said that when you made your first mistake that God left you. That's the biggest lie ever. In other ways, when you made the big mistake, God got even closer because he realized, oh, you're imperfect just like all the rest of them. And God's not like your actual daddy. I know, I know it might be hard. I know it's hard, but if it's, if it's right, if it's tight, it's right. Your dad might have left you, abandoned you, but God is not that type of dad. God is the type that when you mess up, he will whoop you and love you at the same time. And then he'll teach you why you were wrong. And then what he does is he puts you right back out there to try again. And I pray that God would heal any person in this room that is afraid to follow purpose because you had a bad run-in with a bad parent. The first person that's supposed to believe, hold on, the first person that's supposed to believe in you is your parent. And for many of you in the room, you never had anybody believe in you. And now because the first person that was supposed to believe in you did it, when anybody tries to believe in you, we think it's fake. I want to let you know as your pastor, I believe in you. Even when you're wrong, God believes in you. This thing called grace and mercy, AWC, I'm sorry, AWC exists for people that are messing up. Yeah, yeah, there's healing for the person that got cheated on, and there's grace for the person that cheated. They're both welcome here. And I know, you're not, I know you don't like it. I know it makes you sick, but everybody in this room was the bad guy in a story at some point in time. And I, can I get an amen? Some of you are the bad guy in a story right now. Can I get an amen? Don't say that, don't say that. Somebody say, God is with me when I'm wrong. God is also with you when you run. After killing the man and his wrongness, this is good to somebody. You're going to get a, you get a revelation at Thursday, on Thursday. It's going to hit you. Ah, you're going to get it. It's okay. He killed a man. He was wrong. Then he runs. Some of you in this room are running currently from what God has called you to do. It'd be easier to run from the relationship than to fix it. It'd be easier to quit the job than to actually just do what they're asking you to do. It would be quicker and easier to smoke and drink rather than going to counseling or therapy, right? Like it's, it's so much easier for us to do all the bad stuff. But God wants you to know that even when you're taking care of yourself in self-medification, right? Like, like he's still there and he still chooses you. So for every person right now that's sitting and you're looking at me and you're hungover from last night, guess what? God still chose you, bro. 
I know that's the hell. Y'all, y'all don't like that. That's nasty Bible. For those of you that are watching right now and you're in bed with the person that you shouldn't be in bed with, guess what? God still wants you too. Oh, y'all don't like that. Hey, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. After you run, he's also with you when you stall. God's with you and speaking to you even as you're (laughs) trying to tell God that you can't talk. And why would you send me? God's like, yeah, it's okay. Every other person on earth goes through the same part. I know it. You're stalling, but you're still going to have to go. God's also with you when you are unsure. A lot of the people that you think got it, I don't know what I'm doing. Joshua, right now, I have no idea what I'm doing. And you want to know the areas where I had the most anxiety and depression is where I tried to act like I didn't know what I was doing. I only need to talk to two people. I need you to raise your hand. This is not for everybody. I only need two of you. Let me free you like God freed me. And my freedom came three weeks ago. I'm, I really want to be a pastor that like every time you see me or you hear something about me, you know enough about me to know what's not about me. Let me say that again. I want to be the type of pastor that tells you enough about me that when you hear something about me that's not about me, you know enough about me to, like, disqualify it. So, like, if you hear something about, like, oh, Pastor Joshua was with another woman, you'd be like, Vanessa would have killed that man. Like, too many people have my number. Too many people have my Instagram, not the password. Like, they can go into my social media and see my DMs. Men, that's how you protect yourself. Not my business. Let me move on. I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I don't know. But guess what I'm doing? I'm listening to the Lord. Every, every day. We pray together. God, what are you saying? What, what are you saying right now? Because it might be different than what you said yesterday. And you spend a lot of time admiring people that you think have it all figured out. And if they told you the truth, they would show you their prayer closet with all the tear stains in the ground. They would show you literally the pillow that, they, that they've ripped apart because they're like, I don't know what to do. But when they're in front of you, they stand in the confidence of God. Hey, this is where we're going. Cry in, pub, cry in private and lead in public. But you want to know the best place where God talks to him, talks to you? Is when you don't choose him. <laughs> this is where God speaks the loudest. When you don't think he's talking. This is how I see it. When we think that God isn't talking to us, I feel like God is screaming. I love you! God, where are you at? I just, like, I don't know. I love you too, sweetheart. Uh, I don't know where you are. Like, where are you at, God? Like, you're not in my situation. And God's like, I'm here. You just don't know what my voice sounds like. Like, you don't, you, you can't hear, you, you, can't, you, you can't hear me. And just because you're unsure of me doesn't mean I'm unsure of you. When I made you, I knew who you were going to be. When I put you in the basket, Moses, I knew that you were going to have a stuttering problem. When you were with Pharaoh, I knew you were going to kill that man. I knew it was going to happen. I knew you were going to run all the way out into the desert. I knew once you got to the desert, you were going to try to tell me about your parts of you that I made. I made your stutter. I made you slow. You don't even know, bro, bro but I'm about to give you a man named Aaron that's going to do all that stuff for you. Like, I can't reveal everything to you. Like, if you just trust me. Last thing I want you to write down, this is my close. Your trust in God is connected to your talk with God. Trust is not built when God does things for you. Trust is built when you talk to him. Two ways that you talk to God is through prayer and reading this book. Like everybody on your feet uh, this morning, on your feet. You're going to make a promise. You're going to make a promise. You're going to make a promise 
only if this, this pertains to you. But this is going to be a rhetorical promise on the inside of you. For many of you, you've been walking past the Bible that has dust on it. Your purpose and you're called. Your purpose and you're called, you know what you're supposed to do with your life. But many of you are going to make the promise to pick that thing up. There are a bunch of different programs. You spend $20 in a year. It literally shows you. Anybody ever done one of those programs where you read the Bible in a year? I promised myself last year I would not read more, more, I would not read more books than I read the Bible. So anytime I read a book, I have to read the Bible. And I'm, I'm on my second pass. And I'm getting more things from it. But here's the reason why you need to learn from God. It's my final point, and then we're done. And then I'm, we're, we're, we're going to pray. Romans 8, 19, it says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for what? That future day when God will reveal who his children really are. In the New King James, it says that for the world is literally moaning and groaning, waiting for the sons of man. Think about how much slavery happened while Moses was running away from God. All the generations that had to walk through slavery because Moses didn't stand up, because Moses didn't reveal to himself the calling. There's a world that is dying because you won't decide. And we can decide right here in this moment. This is the altar call. I want you to stand there, and this is how you do it. You put your hands out like this, and you just listen. Just listen, and you begin to ask the Lord, can you speak to me? I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I know for many of you, you might be running. For many of you, you might be unsure. For many of you, you might be stalling or whatever. But tonight, we're going to go, and I'm going to change the subject a little bit. We're going to go into the topic of how do we learn and know the voice of God to make quick pivots. Pastor Martin said something last week. We make decisions very slowly and we change them very quick, which is necessary for people that are going to lead. Here it is. Every hand lifted, let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal the voice of God to us. God, give somebody courage to read the word in a way that they've never done before. And God, as you begin to reveal yourself to us, reveal more of your, reveal more of ourselves to ourselves, that we will learn our own character. We learn our ups and our downs, that when you send us into purpose, God, that we're not fearful, but we have the fear and reverence of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.